You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 59 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website. You can also find our episodes available on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I am one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, Mark Herleman, and with me like the upper torso of Darth Maul, the EU guru himself, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. Good to know I'm not the legs in the crotch. <laughs> I almost went there. Well, how's it going to go? I mean, how are you going to come in on that if I went that route? I mean, it's just impossible. Not even going to start anything about musical Morse code farting. Nope, nope, not going to go there. <laughs> oh, oh, Maul, you silly Maul. Of course, Maul's been, you know, he's been a big player in Star Wars the last uh, month or so, so uh, it just seems like it would make sense for Maul to be a character focus here on the show for one of our first episodes in a while that's not about a series or a particular book or something like that that's maybe a little bit uh, uh, broader here as we uh, kind of shift back a little bit to sort of mid-last year's approach in a lot of ways as far as uh, the topics we're talking about, which of course begs that old question. Uh, what are we talking about this time, Mark? Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we're going to be discussing Darth Maul, the character, the works that follow him, and his impact on the saga and fandom, if there's time. Consider this your spoiler warning, Maul DeLoreans, cause here we go. Let's especially note here that this is very spoilerific for the last few episodes of The Clone Wars. Uh, the most recent one, Sabotage, of course, was not a Maul episode, but the three preceding that, plus the season premiere of Season 5, that actually takes place right before the three that we just saw, um, those are all going to be probably heavily spoilered uh, throughout, or heavily spoiled throughout this episode here. And, um, you know, Maul was never a favorite character of mine, to be honest with you. What? I think. Maul, Maul felt to me the way that Boba Fett felt. You know, uh, getting in on early, early EU fandom, both uh, just from the, the modern standpoint here, um, both in terms of the comics and the novels, it kind of felt to me for a long time that as far as Boba Fett went, the cult following at first didn't make sense. He got a lot of attention because he was that preview figure. He was the preview of uh, The Empire Strikes Back because we got to see him in the cartoon and the holiday special and such. But really, what did he get? You know, he was in The Empire Strikes Back. He was briefly in Return of the Jedi and goes out like a punk. And then we got, at least in the early days, we got a little bit of him in the newspaper strips. We got him showing up in Jawas of Doom only to be knocked right back into the Sarlacc pit. And we got to see him in droids. I mean, honestly, Boba Fett did very little to make him as awesome as people made him out to be until 
the modern EU brought him back, started giving him at least some background, developing the character, giving him these big exploits that could be said to have sort of solidified that reputation. Maul, to me, was a lot the same. Um, he was the crazy thing that made people go, woohoo, when they saw the Episode One trailer, seeing him put out the double-bladed lightsaber there. And I know there are those who argue that maybe they shouldn't have shown that in the trailer, and that's somewhat true, but when you've got a blast of toys and other tie-in materials being released a month before the film, of course the double-bladed lightsaber is going to be spoiled before the film came around, no matter what, even if it's just walking down the toy aisle. But basically in the film, he gets very, very little dialogue. I mean, Captain Panaka, I think, gets more dialogue than Maul does. He goes out in the end uh, in an awesome battle, but never really gets a whole lot of characterization in the film. And then in the surrounding materials, much like the early Boba Fett, he again doesn't get a whole lot of character depth. We get the original Darth Maul comic series, awesome artwork, awesome battle sequences, not a lot of characterization. We got uh, Jedi Council Acts of War. We got, uh, let's see, a Darth Maul Shadow Hunter and the Saboteur ebook that went along with it. Um, we got the Theory of Darth Maul in Episode 1 Adventures and the Episode 1 Maul Journal, both of which gave us more depth to the character than any of the other stuff around it. But still, up until the last couple of years, Darth Maul has not gotten much in the way of character depth. He was a character that looked awesome, sounded kind of cool, given the fact that Peter Serafinowicz did the voice over Ray Park's acting, a uh, very uh, Dave Prowse and James Earl Jones style with Vader, but as cool as he looked and as butt-kicking as he was in action, we knew very little about the character that gave him any depth whatsoever. He was very much a paper-thin, characterized character. And that has always been something that had bothered me about Maul because it felt like we were falling into the Boba Fett trap again, the hype train, rather than something that actually deserved the hype. Now, though, just the last two years have made him into a much deeper, more interesting character, and I find that I really, really like the Maul character now, uh, both as portrayed by Sam Witwer on The Clone Wars and as presented in a lot of these newer materials. It just apparently took them, oh, what, what, a decade plus to finally get around to giving this character some depth. So, cool character now, but uh, for me, the thrust of my thoughts on Maul all depend on when we're looking at it. In the early days, fluff. Nowadays, deep. Somewhat. Hmm. See, and I, I was on board with Maul from the beginning. I, I, I think that, like Fett, it come down to appearances. I mean, here was a very vicious, demonic-looking Sith. It was like, okay, this is going to be cool. I can't wait for this right. I remember when I first watched the first, you know, episode of, of The Phantom Menace, I was, like, sitting there going... Okay, Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul were my take-home characters. These guys were awesome, and unfortunately, they both died. I was like, are you kidding me? The the best two are the ones that go out quick, you know, one of those things. And then we would get things like the Darth Maul comic where he goes after uh, Black Sun, and he goes out and he takes and cuts off the head of the, the criminal organization back in the past. And then we get these other little books and stuff that would kind of fill in that. There wasn't much, you know, Nathan, you're 100% right on that. And it was bothersome. You know, I was one that craved more. I, w I wanted to know why, you know, when I first saw him, I thought demon, why I thought awesome Sith, you know, he had to, to be as awesome as I portrayed him in my mind, you know, and, you know, they've got to that point now where you're right. It, it is there. They've got the character development. He's no longer paper thin. There have been a lot of things that have come and, and gone beyond that. I, I remember the episode one journal of Darth Maul was kind of like the, the first time you really got to understand his point of view and stuff. And, and at the end of it, the epilogue is a voice recording from Darth 
Sidious himself, he says, I regret to announce that Lord Maul was wrong. A Sith Lord can be defeated if he is an apprentice who falls victim to his belief in his own invincibility. I take up the task of completing the journal of my deceased apprentice, Lord Darth Maul. Here I shall record what I learned at his death at the hands of the Jedi Obi-Wan Kenobi. Lord Maul's information was correct. The Queen and a small force had invaded the central hangar. I'm going to continue down because we don't need to note that. But he goes, My apprentice was worthy, but he was never flexible. He focused on the Jedi for personal revenge. I had drilled single-mindedness into my apprentice from an early age. I did not expect it would become a failing. And I, I found that that was kind of interesting, the, the, the Sidious point of view. Because at this time, when this came out, there was very little on even Sidious. There was little on Maul, but even less on Sidious. I mean, I, I, you know, for me and Nathan, when we came into the EU, the Sith were kind of like hands off. You know, they, they, they may be talked about, or there were a couple from way back in the tales of the, of the Jedi that you could talk about, but none of the, the more recent, anything that got close to Palpatine. No, that was all hands off. You couldn't know about that. The closest you got was Bane, you know, and so finding anything that had a point of view from Maul and then later Sidious was like all oh, classic gold. But I liked how, you know, from Sidious's point of view at this time, Maul was single-minded. And and that kind of goes to with the Maul that I see from what we see later in the Clone Wars. I mean, the Clone Wars, we see a, a strategist. We see someone that's slow calculating. And, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he, he got cut up. He was discarded. He was left a broken shell of himself. You know, he had to build himself back up. I mean, now he is definitely going to take things a lot more slow. His master, I mean, I think about in Acts of War and even in Episode 1, where Palpatine is constantly telling him, you know, wait, not yet. We need to let these other people be our hands. You know, and he wants to get his hands bloody. But what happens the first time he goes out? Well, not really the first time. I mean, the first time I want to say was uh, Shadow Hunter when he really goes after some Jedi. But the first time we see him in the movies go out, he gets sliced and diced. And I mean, that's the lesson that he learned through his apparent death, which I, and I find it funny that, you know, it's like, when that came out, him getting cut in half was like, okay, they're doing this so they can't bring him back like the EU did with, with Boba Fett. And then Jango Fett loses his head, and you're like, okay, they're continuing that. Well, we're just going to cut him up to beyond recognition. And then what? Darth Maul's in the Clone Wars? And for me, and maybe for you, Nathan, I mean, the, the uh, I believe it was uh, the Visionaries uh, where we saw Darth Maul. It, it was a Tales or an Infinities version where Maul comes back and he's all robotic legged and his horns are super long. And I mean, and he goes after young Luke and Kenobi shows up and fights him again. And I always love that. And I thought, you know, Hey, when we saw him with the robotic model and stuff, I'm like, Hey, they could be putting him in a spot where that could still happen. And I always thought that was really cool as well. Yeah, I mean, they did some cool things with him early on. I mean, the, the, the Sith, yeah, the Sith were somewhat off limits. Of course, before the prequels came around, Lucas had said that, yeah, yeah, have at it. Create a Sith background. Here's what little bit I'm going to tell you. Go ahead and create some. And we got the things with Tales of the Jedi, you know, with Exar Kun and Ulic Keldroma, and then even further back with, you know, Naga Sadao and Ludo Kresh and all of that. But we really didn't have much in the way of this uh, era of Sith, this uh, new Sith that they're sometimes called, uh, the the group that actually does lead up to Palpatine and Vader and such, with the exception of a, a brief mention in the Phantom Menace novelization uh, of going back to Bane and this idea. And then, of course, we got a little bit more out of that, and that got tied into uh, the stuff we got in Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2 with the Valley of the Jedi and whatnot. 
Um, but while the Sith have developed to the point where there's all kinds of different eras of Sith orders and how they all connect, Maul, for the most part, was left, um, not I wouldn't say a blank slate, but pretty close to it. We got a little bit inside his head with uh, with the journal and with uh, Fury of Darth Maul, that episode one adventures thing where we get to see his perspective on some of the events taking place shortly before the events of uh, The Phantom Menace. But he never really seemed like he got a lot of... of characterization to what he said. It was always, you know, like threats and whatnot, as opposed to something that gave us a sense of the inner workings of the man's mind. Um, when we didn't even get a, a name for him, we didn't know whether Maul was his name or not. There was that uh, translation, that foreign translation of the Phantom Menace that left in his name Kamir Saren as his original name, only to wind up finding now that that's been completely wiped out, uh, never appeared in English language books anyway but completely wiped out um, as a possibility, it seems, now that we know a little bit more about where he came from, how he was born on Iridonia, got brought uh, to Dathomir shortly after birth by his mother, Cassina, and the whole issue of trying to get him away from Mother Talzin, so sending him off with Palpatine, as we see in Darth Plagueis. But, I don't know, they, they, they took an, it took them until now to give him much of a background, but yeah, they did some cool things. What I find shocking, though, looking back at it, um, for such a visible character in Star Wars, most of his best characterization came through things that weren't canonical, or were at least of questionable canonical status. You mentioned yeah. Old Wounds, where he comes back to fight against Obi-Wan. There's also Phantom Menaces in Tales, where a scientist has kept the brain of Darth Maul alive and creates sort of a solid-state hologram of, of Maul that fights against Luke at one point. Uh, neither of those were meant to be in continuity at all, so those were always kind of just out there. I mean, you could sort of fit in the one with this brain, and you still sort of could, I guess, now, um, if you figure there's some <laughs> other way for him to get Maul's brain rather than it being from Naboo. But what got me and made me think, you know, this character is really cool, but at the same time, boy, he's kind of thin, was when reading Tales, and there was a story in it called Resurrection oh, yeah. that, of course, uh, Ted Alderman turned it into an audio drama, and I got a chance to play uh, the voice of Palpatine in it. You can find it uh, still at StarWarsFanWorks.com, whether it's the new or the the old version of the site. I'm in the process of retooling now. But Resurrection had a dark side-derived doppelganger of Darth Maul. Not the original Darth Maul, but not a clone either. Sort of a, somehow, a, a dark side doppelganger, very much like we see with Dooku, apparently, in see, I Dude thought Droid it was Arm. a clone. No, I mean, I mean they, they, they said actually that, established it wasn't? They established that it is a doppelganger uh, created by the prophets of the dark side. Um, Ooh, but so Sith alchemy, in a sense. It gave us, though, this fight between Vader and Maul, and gave us some of, of the deepest characterization we had gotten of Vader, outside of him being Anakin, in quite a long time. The idea of him putting the blade up against his chest, you know, the, uh, what could you hate enough to destroy me? Myself. And he stabs through and, and hits the doppelganger Maul. But even the comments made by Maul, or the doppelganger Maul, in that story, seemed to give him more depth and more of a sense of what his character motivations could be than any of the other stuff that we got at the time. Um, I would say that up until, you know, the time where we got uh, the Night Sisters arc, where we found uh, that Savage Opress is given the talisman and told, you know, go find your brother. He is out in the outer rim, you know, where Talzin's talking all vampire-ish uh, <laughs> uh, or Dracula-ish. Uh, and we saw his face thinking, oh, crap, Maul's going to be back in the Clone Wars. Up until that point... He really wasn't a focus for depth, which is bizarre to me, because 
until Lucas says he's going to show up in the in the Clone Wars, it wasn't like there was a decree that we ever heard of where he was off limits, and yet they didn't tend to use him and give him depth. He got the opposite treatment, I guess, of Boba Fett. Boba Fett was that cult character to begin with, but then they sort of retroactively justified it by coming in and giving him all kinds of more stuff in the EU once they brought him back. But Maul didn't really get that opportunity. Granted, most of the stories at that point started to center around more of the Clone Wars era as we got towards Episode 2, and they stopped producing a whole lot of stuff around the time of The Phantom Menace, at least not very often. But you would think that that character would have been ripe for character exploration, and yet they left it. And well, now he, he we're was. getting it. No, you're absolutely right. He was. I mean, that's a, that's a common issue when it comes to EU characters. I mean, look at Anakin Solo. How many, and even Jason Solo. How many stories could they write in their lifetimes before they passed away? And who are we seeing that with? Only Mara Jade. Why? Because everybody loves Mara Jade. I mean, boys and girls alike. Everybody likes Mara. So, hey, we'll do it all day with her. But there are plenty of other people out there, but they're not as popular. And while Maul was as popular, as, as we've established at the beginning of this episode, not everyone liked him from the get-go. But, hey, whoa, he's on the Clone Wars. Everybody loves the Clone Wars. Everybody loves Darth Maul. Hey, he's popular again. Let's go back to filling out his back again. And, and I think that's the problem with with the popularity and the socialness of the marketing campaigns. It's like, man, that that's how you can watch something just go go the way of, oh, God, why did we go there? Oh, because it was popular at the time. Oh, that's right. But the EU, and, and that's what what I think what we're dealing here with is, is the exploration of character. And it, to me, that's what the EU is. It's like, you know, take shadow conspiracy here. You know, it, we're, we're talking about what, uh, eminence shades of reason, the lawless did it also have revival at the beginning of it. I, I've only read the last half of it here. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's collecting that arc right there. And it's got little bits in it that establish things that I was questioning about. Okay. What was going on here? Tells a little bit more about how Obi-Wan got the twilight, things like that. And, and that's, the stuff about why I love the EU. It adds the additional background stuff. I mean, yeah, it's cool we get on the Clone Wars some character development here, but we don't always get enough. You know, sometimes the scene will jump and we're like, wait, what happened? Granted, as we saw in our last episode with uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral, there are occasions where you see that also in the other mediums, like where comics will jump and whole scenes disappear. But, you know, that that's part of the game. But like I'm just sitting here looking around at, at what I've got sitting on my on my shelf right next to me that I've pulled out for this episode and all these different mall works that are just all really fun stories. They all tie in. And, and like you said, Nathan, they're all different variations of the same character. I mean, he's slowly evolved. There's a little bit more on him. I mean, he's always had a drive. He's always had a purpose, that purpose being destroying the Sith or not the Sith, <laughs> destroying the Jedi. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you have that purpose, that purpose of destroying the Jedi you know, you become bent on it. I mean, even Palpatine is, but Palpatine keeps more in mind of the bigger picture, which I think that's the downside of being the apprentice. You don't have that bigger picture yet, so it's it's easier to get caught up in things. I mean, we see Vader doing the same thing. I mean, Purge, you know, when we just talked about that in our, a few episodes back, Purge, Purge, and Purge some more. Uh, it's one of those things where it's a common Sith theme, and while even though it's being dealt with to degrees in each one of these works, it's always prevalent. I think what gets me about the way that they dealt with him uh, as far as the, the recent characterization. I mean, I love the fact that they've now given him depth. Okay, we've got I mean, just a quick catalog here. We've got the Darth Plagueis novel. We've got uh, the restraint short story that's in the paperback reprint with the same ISBN that makes it hard to find of uh, Shadowhunter. 
We've got the end game short story that was produced for the new paperback release of uh, the Phantom Menace novelization. We've got his appearance in uh, Brothers and Revenge, of course, in the Clone Wars. Then we had the Sith Hunters and Darth Maul Death Sentence comics to sort of bridge last season with this season. Then we have Revival, Eminence, Shades of Reason, and The Lawless recently on Clone Wars with Shadow Conspiracy, as you mentioned, being sort of the novelization of that or the book adaptation. I'm not sure if it's a full, I'd call it a full-fledged novel, but Jason Fry does a really good job, I'm told, of, of drawing all that together. But it's interesting because he sort of starts off as being built or and billed as a Sith Lord to be the apprentice to Sidious. And you sort of get the sense that he really is just the battering ram. You know, he's the blunt instrument sent out to kill, which almost had me kind of scratching my head thinking, okay, what exactly was the plan with Maul? Because with Dooku, he got himself a charismatic leader who could lead the other side of the Clone Wars and have, you know, the Republic and the Separatists essentially both manipulated by the Sith into weakening the galactic structure so that the Empire could rise and the Sith could gain uh, ultimate dominance and all that. I don't see Maul as someone who could have done that, and they never really gave much of a sense of strategizing to Maul. He sort of was just the killer. He was the assassin. And it made us kind of wonder whether or not that was what a Sith Apprentice was supposed to be, or if the Apprentice, since eventually he's supposed to destroy the Master and become the Master, was meant to be trained in other ways. And then, kind of interestingly, as we go along with the characterizations of early Maul, it's like they take that level of him being a strategist and the idea of him being able to become um, a Sith Master, and they're somewhat undermining it the entire time. He's just a blunt instrument. Then we get the Darth Plagueis novel recently, and that manages to somewhat strip that away. Uh, the, the idea of him being a strategist, because what do we get? We get the idea that, and this is another one of those big Darth Plagueis spoilers, but the book's been out for quite a while. We've got the fact that Darth Plagueis was still alive during Episode One. And he doesn't even learn about Maul's death until Plagueis is, is, has just been killed at that point in the book. So it seems as though we have the master Plagueis, the apprentice Sidious in The Phantom Menace, and Maul essentially being their blunt instrument. Yes, the he tool. Could, yeah, he could become uh, the apprentice of Sidious officially, but in a lot of ways he's like Ventress to Dooku. You have the master, the apprentice, and then here's this other one who's being sort of goaded along with the idea of someday being able to be a Sith on equal terms, when really he's just there to do his master's bidding and do the killing. And they even sort of emphasize that with the Endgame short story, where one of the characters says, you know, uh, uh, say hello to Hego Damask or whatever it is for me. Uh, where Maul's like, wait, who? Because Maul doesn't realize that Sidious himself has a master in Plagueis out there, and that it's Hego Damask and so forth. But then the Clone Wars cartoon series comes in and builds back in what has been stripped away. We had sort of an, an unofficial, unintended stripping away of the strategist, and then what seemed to be a stripping away of a lot of the things that we would expect in a Sith Master from Maul, thanks to Darth Plagueis. And now we've got this angle of he apparently learned enough at Sidious's side that he is a strategist. And when we see him in the Clone Wars, the roles are reversed, as he thinks of himself as a potential new Sith Master, and his brother Savage, who he quickly puts in his place from thinking himself an equal in Revival, thinks of him now as an apprentice, we see that Maul has much more in terms of strategic thought, uh, being able to lure Obi-Wan into a trap in revenge, uh, being able to 
concoct this master plan of essentially building himself a force in the shadows to be able to rival others and perhaps take down Dooku and such, possibly even Sidious, uh, through having the crime families brought together, bringing together Black Sun, uh, bringing together uh, the Pike Syndicate, the Huts, uh, trying to bring in uh, Death Watch and therefore bring in Mandalore, though the Night Owls will wind up going a separate direction. Um, the ability to take revenge on Obi-Wan, not in the simple, I'm going to kill you fashion that it felt like in revenge, but in a fashion that is more a matter of making him feel the pain of loss and having to sit there, sort of, if he hadn't escaped, just being uh, drowning, I guess you could say, in his sorrows and in his pain and his need for revenge without being able to do it, as we saw him when we first meet him again, uh, where he's, he's, you know, Spider Maul and he's babbling to himself bits of the <laughs> Sith code and Sam Witwer's doing that awesome voice acting job. It, it's interesting that what we had essentially was a character who, from his first appearance, was being made out to be less and less of what we think of as a Sith. And now is becoming more and more of what we think of as a Sith. In a lot of ways, while he's not redeemed to the light by any means, the character is redeemed from being that one-dimensional, just butt-kicker battering ram of a character to now being one that I find interesting. He's got a lot more psychologically different with him to the point where you can actually look at the last episode that we saw with Maul, the Lawless, where he is... is first confronted by Sidious for the first time in over a decade, and he's essentially bowing. He's like, you know, I did this all for you. And you have to wonder, is he lying to be able to get Sidious to not kill him? Does he perhaps mean that he really was trying to do this for him? That was part of his master plan? Or is this essentially someone now confronted with a parental figure he hasn't seen in ages, and it's a, I hope I've made you proud, I want your acceptance type of thing. Yeah, he's such a it. deeper character now, but they did it by sort of peeling away one layer of expectation, and eventually rebuilding that exact same layer of expectation on top of it. He's a Sith you could see as a master now in some respects, which I would not have said back in the 90s or even before 2010. He's a Sith army knife. I mean, Palpatine took his tool, loaded him up with all the the knowledge and all the little skills and all the strategy and stuff he needed, but Maul was always being used by the hand of Sidious. But then when he dies... He finds he no longer has that hand to hold him, but yet he's still the Sith army knife. He still has all that stuff. And now he starts to use it. Now he has become the hand of himself. And, you know, then when he gets savaged, you find out, okay, well, now we've got the apprentice set up and he's mirroring what he saw. And I think that's a testament to Sidious's training, you know, and I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, he's trying to, Oh yeah, I did this all for you boss. Yeah. Don't, don't slap me. No. Uh, you know, another thing I wanted to mention, you ever notice that Savage is the Desmond from Lost of the Clone Wars? Is that you, brother? But the brother aspect and Maul's birth. In Darth Plagueis, it gave me the impression that Maul had a twin. Did it give you that impression at all? I don't know if it was a twin so much as just the, the brother connection. But yeah, it, it seemed as though there was much more of a close timing between the births of Savage and and, and Maul, which of course makes you wonder where Farrell, the other brother, yeah. was fitting into the picture. Although, if I remember right, Farrell was the younger brother for Savage, so presumably he would have had to have been born after Maul and Savage both. Yeah, and that was the other thing, was Farrell. I mean, they, they just, I don't know, it seems like Farrell doesn't get any recognition. They're always like, well, Farrell and Savage are brothers, and Maul and Savage are brothers, but Farrell and Savage, well, we're not going to talk about them because, well, they could or couldn't be, but we're just not going to talk about it at all. It's like, wait. How, what happened to Farrell? <laughs> but yeah, when I remember when I read that, it, it gave me the impression that, that the mom was pregnant and was hiding it. 
and that one of the, the two had been taken and she was able to smuggle the other one out by giving him to Sidious, which left me thinking maybe there was a fourth brother because I was always under the impression that Savage was much younger than Maul. He always seemed to be younger than what Maul was even in episode one in the Clone Wars. And so if, if there was a Darth Plagueis angle that there were twins, and that would mean that there is an exact twin of Maul out there somewhere too. I mean, granted, they haven't gone that way, but that was the impression I got from reading it. You know, it was like, wow, okay, so so Savage is either his twin or there's another brother out there somewhere. I do like what they've done with the, the background. They've sort of been able to merge it together with other things. Now, granted, there were some questions about, you know, where does he get the lightsaber and that sort of thing, and why does he have the tattoos? I think that was probably the, the biggest retcon to his background was this idea that we always thought the tattoos were Sith. No, the tattoos are because he was a Knight Brother from Dathomir, a part of that Iridonian colony that eventually wound up being that Knight Brother clan on Dathomir. So, uh, uh, sucks to be Darth Krait and the one Sith, realizing that they're not really tattooing themselves as Sith, they're tattooing them all as Knight Brothers, basically. Uh, Darth Talon is apparently a Knight well, Brother sister. I was thinking about that, too, because it kind of makes sense for them in the aspect of Maul was the only visible Sith at this time. Oh, yeah. And so the galaxy would mistakenly think that the Sith are, you know, kind of basically tributing Maul. They're kind of giving a nod to Maul specifically. But well, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, though, the Knight Brothers. <laughs> it's kind of funny that they would not realize where it's actually coming from. I like the fact that when it comes to his birth, you know, we've got that little bit in Darth Plagueis, or the Darth Plagueis, he's saying Darth Sidious, I think. In the Darth Plagueis novel, we've got basically the idea that, you know, he's being given over to Palpatine to get him out of there, to give him a better chance, etc., etc. Um, there'd always been that question once we found out about the Knight Brothers, of whether or not he was born on Dathomir or if he was born on Iridonia anymore, the Wrath of Darth Maul seems to say that he was born initially on Iridonia. Uh, Cassina essentially had the child when she was away from Dathomir, but then when she when she goes back, he is quickly taken back with her and given to Sidious while on Dathomir. So they found a way to sort of make those two somewhat fit there. We, we get the name of, of the mother from restraint. We otherwise don't get it. We don't even get her name in Darth Plagueis and such. But I like the idea of them giving that, and that we don't have to necessarily see Maul's childhood at all on Dathomir, because we don't. You know, obviously Sidious gets him when he's a child. But we get enough of Savage's background on Dathomir to get a feel for what that style of life is like amongst the Knight Brothers and such, and a sense of what he didn't grow up with that Savage did. And I like the fact that by the time we get to the Lawless, Obi-Wan has had a chance to go to Dathomir, mainly searching out information about uh, Savage and such. But he's able to go to Dathomir and finally see what you know culture it was that Maul came from, at least initially, and then re uh, uh, confront him essentially with the what might have been, you know, I've seen your village. I've seen where you came from. I know that becoming a Sith was not your choice. And that's another of these angles that we don't get a lot with Maul. Maul now is kind of intriguing in the same way that uh, Anakin Skywalker is, in the sense that he is someone who, in, a, in some respects, is almost like still trapped in certain childhood aspects of the personality, of looking for that acceptance that he never got, of being able to make choices as opposed to being driven by things beyond his control that he has been shaken by. In Anakin's case, of course, the death of his mother and the upcoming death of Padme uh, as of Revenge of the Sith. In Maul's case, you know, being taken away and having the only life he's ever known be as a Sith and never getting a choice to do something else. Uh, to have Obi-Wan enter the scenario by, by looking at Maul as something other than 
just a Sith to be destroyed, but to be able to argue and reason with him and say, look, I know what this is, I know what you were, etc., etc., it gives us a chance to see that Maul has more layers to him. Without necessarily having to see the flashbacks of Maul himself, we can build those layers based on the characters around him, uh, the conversations they have with him, and just the facial expressions that you get. Um, it's We made the joke on the Last Republic Forces Radio Network, the old, you don't know me, you don't know me, kind of stuff, because that's basically what Maul does. You know, the, as soon as he says, you know, I know where you came from, I've seen your village, like, you, you know, don't dare to assume that you know anything about me, which just gets him more enraged to kill Satine to get at Obi-Wan. Um, but we've, we're, we're getting all these layers of depth now, which almost feels as though, I mean, while I really appreciate it, and I think that it's good that his reappearance back in the Clone Wars was not just as Spider-Maw, and not just as a blunt instrument of hatred, that he actually has been given these different layers to the character, that it's not just something to hype up the Clone Wars or to hype up the Phantom Menace in 3D, which apparently is the only one we're getting in 3D in the near future. Um, but it's used in a way that serves the story and serves the character. It could have been bad if they had kept with just the old characterization. Um, instead, he's finally getting some depth to him, but I would almost say that for those who... I think a lot of the people who are against him being in the Clone Wars are against him being in the Clone Wars because the depth has come too late. It has come, you know, over a decade after the depth probably should have been there for the character. And only those of us who have really been into the Clone Wars as in and of themselves seem to be really willing to give him a fair shot. Even with all the depth he's gotten in the last few episodes, there's still a lot of people out there who hate the fact that he's been in the Clone Wars and think he should have stayed dead. Well, you know what, folks? If he had stayed dead... He would have stayed without any depth, very much like Boba Fett. And then where would your cult figure be now? Yeah. Yeah, and some of the layers, like in Wrath of Darth Maul, uh, Sidious restrains a strange verse while while Maul was younger, and he goes, far above, far above, we don't know where we'll fall. Far above, far above, what once was great is rendered small. And I like how, you know, that that just that little poem, kind of you know, they, they reuse it over and over again throughout the book, but... It also could be applied to all these other works. I mean, when you think about how Maul's story ends up going and how he ends up being cut down, and then you watch him, you know, here in the Clone Wars, he gets big again, and then bam, Maul cuts him off. And at the end of uh, the Shadow Conspiracy, it ends differently than than the uh, the comic or the comic, the uh, TV show. You know, he uh, he goes, uh, "You belong to me," Sidious said. "Your existence is now perfectly meaningless." Whereas in the, the TV show, he just tells him he's got plans for him and he's like, ooh, what's going to go on next? And I like how, like, as of this moment, you know, his fate is just as what's going to happen to Maul as it was when we first saw his face in the crystal ball. It's like anything can happen at this point again. And, and that's the great thing about what the Clone Wars has been doing is that they're able to take things and shake up the EU, get us all freaked out. And then, again, by the time it's all said and done, most of the things line back up fine. I mean, you know, when we watch Maul kill Satine, there ends all the whole, oh, wait, Obi-Wan's got another relationship stuff. It's like, well, no. It's, I mean, he might have, but it's over now. It doesn't matter. Uh, another one that I wanted to talk about before we go, though, I, I really enjoyed was uh, Tom Taylor's Darth Maul death sentence. I thought that that did a really cool uh, job of, of kind of continuing the adventure of, of the two brothers that we also see in Sith Hunters. Uh, but I, I was kind of wondering, do you have any idea how the timeline of events goes for once those two get together? Because Shadow Hunters, uh, I, I don't, 
Shadowhunters. Uh, the Shadow Conspiracy, you know, it, it's the Clone Wars TV show. But in Darth Maul Death Sentence, they're in a different ship than what you see in the Clone Wars TV show. So I'm trying to kind of figure out where, with the Sith Hunters, Darth Maul Death Sentence, and the Clone Wars show, where they all kind of line up in the timeline. Well, the I mean, Revenge, of course, ends Season 4 of the show. And the Sith Hunters picks up from there because it's, you know, what happens to Maul and Savage as far as uh, uh, them in that other chunk of the ship. Whereas we also see Obi-Wan and Asajj landing on a planet where he basically lets her go. You know, he's offering her possible amnesty if she were to, uh, uh, to testify and that sort of thing to help them. But she goes her own way and whatnot. So Sith Hunters is the direct continuation from Revenge. And that one's by Henry Gilroy, if I remember correctly. Then, of course, it's after that, after they've had the adventure in Sith Hunters, where they kill several more Jedi and wind up getting a ship from the woman in that story and so forth, that we wind up meeting them later in Darth Maul Death Sentence. And bear in mind that even though Revival was the first episode aired of Season 5, we've been told, um, I've been told, uh, having asked that question, though not of Leland Chi, but of someone who knows this stuff uh, for various reasons, um, that Revival is still meant to take place in its original intended slot, not as the season premiere of Season 5, because they moved it up to build on the Darth Maul stuff, but it doesn't make any sense to have Revival where it is, because we see Adigalia get killed, and then in a future episode, we see her on the Jedi Council again. We see um, uh, Hondo Carr's base, or Hondo, no, Hondo Onaka, Hondo Carr, I'm thinking the, the Mando, uh, Hondo yeah. Onaka's base all torn to crap, when that doesn't happen until later in the season also. Um, so we've got a gap, basically, from the end of Sith Hunters and the end of Season 4 until the second half, at least, of Season 5, when we are supposed to get Revival and then all three of the recent episodes just back-to-back. Back. So whether or not that is taking place in the gap between seasons, or if it's taking what Darth Maul Death Sentence, that is, or if Darth Maul Death Sentence is meant to be taking place concurrently with parts of this season, especially since this was not a season where we saw a whole lot of Obi-Wan or Anakin. It was mostly Ahsoka when we saw our main heroes. Um, it, it's, it's at least within that time range, but doesn't seem like there's mm. anything definite. I've put it on the timeline gold before Season 5, because I think it was meant to build on that hype leading into Season 5. But whether well, or not that's Shadow true or not, it's hard to say. Well, Sith Hunters, as you say, they steal a ship, and that would explain the ship that we see in Death Sentence, because that's not the ship we see in the Clone Wars cart uh, cartoon show. I mean, that's a different ship at that point, which we see them get in, uh, which one was that? Was that uh, Witches of the Mist, where he got that one, or was it uh, Revival itself? No, it was Revenge, wasn't it? You're talking about the one that's uh, that Savage uses? Yeah, the one that they get that's all beat up that the Mandalorians pick him up, which oh, I love that scene. That, uh, was, that was it. That was in Brothers. He got it. Uh, he stole it and he ejected the guy out into space and everything. And then he had that ship whenever he found Maul and they took him back to Talzin to become, you know, claw-legged, not quite as crazy insane Maul, where she apparently like draws the insanity out of his mind. And then that's the same one they wind up flying as we move into um, Sith Hunters because that's the one that. Uh, Obi-Wan and, and uh, Asajj oh. blast themselves out of. It's interesting because both times that we wind up getting a connection between the episodes with, or between uh, segments of Maul and we're able to use it, the ship to tell us the difference, it's part of a ship. Because, right, because that, because he's got the one ship and then we see Asajj and Obi-Wan launch out of that and leave them behind. 
and then at the end of revival we've got another ship they have to launch out of and then it's that little tiny part of what's left of that ship that we find when we meet them again in the second part of this season's mall stuff he's just constantly launching bits and pieces off i i would have liked to perhaps see him fight his way to try to reclaim uh, the scimitar his Sith infiltrator, but that does not seem to have been in the cards because, of course, the Jedi have that, and then eventually, doesn't it disappear at some point? I think within the continuity, they say that it's been it's been taken back. They don't know what's happened to it. Yeah, it just yeah, it went over to uh, Senior and and disappeared back over there. Of course, Palpatine then uh, reacquires it. So I guess then we have like a continuity little snafu here then because it sounds like they've been in that ship since before Sith hunters. So in Sith Hunters, they were on that ship. They get on a new ship, which is the same ship that we see in Death Sentence. And somehow they get back to the ship that they left behind in Sith Hunters because we see it in the Clone Wars. Or they at least get another model of the ship like that, I would say. Hmm. Wow. Snafus. I don't know. It's been a while since I watched the episode, so I'm trying to picture what exact type of ship it was that they had at the different points. And I'm not, I'm not able to visualize it at this point. Well, yeah, and I, I'm not going to lay it all on you like that. Very thick. Come on, Nathan, you got to have the answer! Because, I mean, I've only watched any of these just one episode one time. I mean, I think back to the Mortis arc, you know. I only saw each of those episodes one time through, and they confused the nine hells out of me. So, I mean, uh, like anything I'm trying to apply to what I saw, it's like I don't even know if I'm recalling it correctly, you know? <laughs> well, well, for what it's worth, Mortis confused a lot of people because as soon as you think about the way that part three worked out, it, the, for the first two parts make no sense, or the last part makes no sense, because it changes the rules of what we got before, right? It's the, uh, the uh, I want to kill my father so I can be super powerful, and then it's father's dead, and now I'm crying because instead of father dying making me powerful, father dying makes me now vulnerable. It's just, the rules changed when you got to part three of the Mortis trilogy, and it stopped making sense. So being confused on that is not something I'd be, I'd be too worried about. Although, uh, I guess there's one thing we haven't really mentioned or when we've mentioned it, it's been kind of in an oblique sort of way, and that is where Maul ends up now. You know, we assumed that he was dead after the Phantom Menace, then we find out he's coming back. And just like the whole, well, how is the, how are the new Mandalorians going to wind up going back to the warrior ways? Well, apparently we seem to have got at least the beginnings of that with what we got in this same arc with Maul and everything. Um, but now, thanks to the end of the Lawless, we've got Sidious showing up using two lightsabers, so there is a continuity thing there. Because uh, at one point in the Revenge of the Sith novel, they talk about how the, the uh, light, one of his lightsabers was I inside a statue that. from the entire time. I, I retcon that. I figured it out. Because we were talking about this on We Talk Clones, and that was that was my first complaint. But the more I thought about it, the one we see in the Revenge of the Sith is the one he has inside uh, the Senate, inside the chambers and all that, past all the security stuff. That's his secret weapon. The other ones he don't have on him all the time. You know, he went and he went, obviously stopped at some Sith stronghold he has or, or his... His Sith clubhouse picked up the ones he normally uses every day, but the other one is is hidden inside his office. Well, That's yeah. his weapon in his office. It's like the sleeper weapon. But there's a question about that because that makes it because that basically plays out as though he has three lightsabers, which would work. Except that's not what Filoni said in the little video talking about how well this is showing him with two lightsabers is our way of of sort of explaining away how he would possibly have had a lightsaber to fight. Uh, Mace Windu lose that one and still have one that he could get and use against Yoda later. So uh, the, any explanation that that leaves that line intact from the Revenge of the Sith novelization of it being in the statue assumes at least three rather than than two lightsabers. But he shows up. We finally get to see Sidious in person rather than in hologram for I believe the first time in the Clone Wars. 
and he just outright whoops butt on the two brothers. Doesn't really seem as though he's really exerting himself for the most part. He's just kind of enjoying it. Uh, takes out Savage in a way that to me was reminiscent of Maul taking out Qui-Gon. You know, the here's a move that winds up uh, kind of knocking him back for a second, taking him off guard, then turn, stab him through while facing the opposite direction and such. And then we have Maul himself uh, being zapped, uh, being electrocuted by the Force Lightning, right? Uh, what happens to a Sith Lord when he gets struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else in a little Ray Park play there with X-Men. Um, but he, he's zapping him. He's not going to let him die. He's going to find more uses for him. So we have, essentially, Maul's rise apparently stopped. His The, the Savage storyline is gone, as is the Satine storyline. The Mandalorian stuff is somewhat wrapped up at this point. A lot of stuff getting wrapped up in sort of a, a neat little bow in many respects. Um, and now we've got this thing of, well, Maul may come back, or he may not. And if he does come back, it must be in some way that Sidious is manipulating or using him. Perhaps we'll see it when the Clone Wars moves, presumably to Disney XD for next year. But they found a way to sort of make it so that Maul can sort of disappear again and not necessarily have the Jedi be any the wiser as to the idea of, of that he maybe uh, didn't just get killed on Mandalore, and that was it, because we certainly apparently find Savage's body left behind and such, or at least presumably they would. Um, I like the fact that they've left his fate somewhat ambiguous. It allows them to write him off if he doesn't come back, or to bring him back if they want to. Um, it, it's like they're slowly sort of dovetailing this now so that they can have him gone by the time of Attack of the Clones. Or... Maybe even send him off in a different direction. I mean, with what's happening in the Clone Wars right now and this big, they're moving towards the Empire and all this Ahsoka on the run stuff apparently that they're going to be doing um, within this final four episodes kind of begs the question of whether we might see uh, – I mean, it's been joked on Republic Forces Radio Network about how maybe a Maul and Ahsoka can go off on their own as lovebirds. But maybe those two going off in the same direction, not together, but perhaps as Ahsoka leaving and Maul being sent to pursue her. Or something. I mean, we, they have a way now that as long as Sidious gives him some kind of mission, he could even still be around for Episode 7, for all we know, well, you know yeah, as that's... long as there's some reason to send him off. But they're, get, they're letting Sidious be the one to decide the fate, and I, I have more faith now that we'll see a decent ending for Maul before there's any chance of him contradicting anything. Uh, not Attack of the Clones. Uh, to, to not contradict anything heading into Revenge of the Sith. Um or beyond that. So I have more faith, I guess, uh, in him still being dead after the prequels, or at least being out of place, so there's no contradiction of where the heck has Maul been for decades like there is with Kakrook. <laughs> Love Kakrook. Now, see, when, when they mentioned Lockdown, I thought Lockdown was going to be set sometime after Lawless, because I, I that was that was my first impression, was, okay, Sidious is going to lock him up, and, and he's going to be in prison. You know, I, I figured he was going to do something along those lines. You know, lock him away. You know, he's no longer significant. Put him off like he's, you know, Palpatine's got museums. Why wouldn't he have a museum full of powerful Force users? I mean, we, we see the Jedi had one like that. So why wouldn't Sidious? And holy cow, you know, we could find out that, that uh, after all the stuff that goes down with the Empire falling and all that, that this prison gets forgotten about. And oh, hey. Darth Maul escapes, and he's now uh, the new big bad Sith Lord with a very bad uh, anger issue, you know, because he's been festering twice as long as he was before he became Spider Maul. But from what we know, at least so far, um, 
it's taking place before the Phantom Menace. So Lockdown is going to be another one of these ones that's prior to the death and the new depth of the character. It's all, you know, pre-Episode 1. Yeah, and that was a bummer, too, because I, I really was hoping for something like that. But, I mean, at least the Lawless ended in that spot where they could do something like that. And if Maul did show up as the villain in Episode 7, I mean, Jason Fry establishes in uh, the Shadow Conspiracy flat out that uh, not only was the Death Watch was his to command, he was the new Mandalore. So he's also, at one point, was the Mandalore, which, you know, you mentioned how the Mandalorian arc is kind of left closed off. Granted, they're still at a civil war. Uh, the Republic could show up, so we could still get an arc at some point, but they're at odds. Their culture is back to a warrior-like place, and they have no Mandalore again. I mean, granted, they technically had no Mandalore as it was, but it seemed like, to, at least to me, that Pre Vizsla was kind of claiming the right of Mandalore. I mean, we had essentially, I mean, they really didn't have much of a Mandalore at the time. I mean, uh, once they got to the point of Satine, the Duchess being in charge with the Prime Minister Almec and so forth, I mean, it doesn't seem as though the idea of having a leader with the title of Mandalore was all that necessary. And then Vizsla comes in, you know, with the Death Watch, uh, takes over. He is at least briefly in control, essentially putting himself into that position, essentially being the Mandalore. Maul wins that by right of combat to become the leader of Death Watch and presumably Mandalore. Uh, I would say that probably now we're looking at Bo-Katan being the leader because even though it's not mentioned in Shadow Conspiracy, apparently they took it out but then added it back in um, in a later version of the script for the show. Um, With her being Satine's sister, she's someone sort of with feet in on both sides of the line. You know, she's been with the Death Watch, she's been with the more warrior heritage side of things and knows they need to be able to protect themselves. At the same time, she has a direct family tie back into the Duchess Satine, so she is someone that perhaps they can think of uh, as a potential leader. I would expect her to be the new leader, um, especially with her being played by Katie Sackhoff, someone who's sort of a more well-known voice, although there's always the possibility that the 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 nephew, Corky, who they never really clarify whether he is Bogatan's son or if there's another sibling out there and he's the son of that sibling. Um, Corky is still presumably in play as well, but I would assume that at this point, you know, the idea, I mean, this whole arc has managed to bring the warrior and the pacifist Mandalorian sides together to protect their world in some, to to some respect, that the fighting that's going on right now, that, that presumed, um, civil war, I don't see that going much of anywhere because at this point, the, you know, the people that the, the ones fighting the night owls, uh, and the insurgency, if you want to call it that, we're following, Vizsla and Maul, both of them are dead. So Yeah, but Altec's alive now. Almec, yeah, Almec's around, but, you know, still, you know, even then, Almec is sort of the one who, who it seemed like was willing to just follow whoever was, you know, the strongest. I mean, he seemed like he he bent, he buckled like a belt, so to speak, when it came to anything that Maul uh, or Vizsla and them actually wanted at the time. See, so, yeah. That's I'm, where I wanted to know more about when the Mandalorian started donning on the red on their armor, I mean, obviously it was a tribute to Maul. You had the other one that, that he welded horns onto his helmet. Maybe he's now the new force for Death Watch. I mean, there there was a little bit there that I, I wanted to know a little more about and, and who, you know, that character with the horned helmet was. Because I, I remember when I first watched the trailers, I thought that was Maul. I was like, oh, Maul in, in Mandalorian armor? Awesome! Yeah, I thought so too. And And they still haven't given us that. I mean, so there's some interesting stuff. There's definitely a lot of fun stuff coming. Uh, you know, I, I mean, don't know for sure, but I mean, the potential is going to be fun. I mean, 
Maul is in the hands of Sidious again. I mean, look what Sidious did with Maul the first time. Anything from here on out is going to be good. I mean, and if they don't do anything, it could be good too. Because like you said, Nathan, they've definitely got to a spot where it could be a satisfactory conclusion. I mean, even in, in the book, it, they just leave it like that. You're like, okay, did he die? What what happened? You know, at least, you know, in the TV show, he says, I've got other plans for you. So it definitely leaves it more open. The book kind of just leaves it like, okay, he's being fried to death. That, that it ends, you know, you're like, whoa, that was insane. <laughs> but and insane is definitely the way I remember when I watched the lawless, that was the most insanely fun episode of the clone wars. I have seen since the landing of point rain and the carnage of Krell. I mean, it is definitely one I, I, I told is a must watch for any Star Wars fan. And just think, we got all of this uh, butt kicking and beheading and stabbing through of Satine and the death of Vizsla. And it seems like, you know, death all over the place. The deaths of, of multiple major characters, minor characters, even the destruction of the Twilight on a kid's Saturday morning cartoon show's time slot type of program. One wonders if Disney XD is going to look at this and realize that, yeah, this makes a lot more sense to do in the evenings, very much like, uh, as I recall, they were doing the uh, Tron Uprising stuff. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with Clone Wars. That I mean, they've already got episodes that were slated for this season pushed back into Season 6, the stuff with uh, uh, the rise of Clovis and all that, and this season's been cut down to 20 episodes for Cartoon Network. One has to wonder where they're going to go with this, and, and at what point we're finally going to get an announcement as to where things are going with this, because it doesn't seem like there's been an official announcement for Disney XD yet, um, though the last I had heard was based on a, I want to say it was something with um, uh, the Cartoon Network uh, Canada version um, saying something about there being a, se a season six that is actually still meant to be on Cartoon Network, but in order to fit a contract that goes through 2013, that it would be aired starting like midsummer to the end of this year, rather than doing it in the regular fall season. So there's a lot of, uh -huh. of stuff up in the air about where it's going to go, what's going to happen. But hopefully, as the stories get darker, as they seem to be, they'll start to make more sense to put it back into the the evening time slot. Because it seems that the fluffier episodes are the ones that we got back when it was in the evenings. And now a lot of particularly dark, adult-style oriented episodes have been the ones we've been getting in the kids' time slot. Keep it dark. We're getting close to the Revenge of the Sith. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you can get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. You can explore more than 100,000 titles, and you can make the jump to hyperspace and jump right into a galaxy far, far away, or you can explore any new genre without risk. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. You can ditch the Crystal Star and move on to iJedi worry-free instead of having to pay for one that didn't thrill you. So in this digital age, if you're making the switch from the page to the screen, Audible just might be right for you. Try and speaking of the Crystal Star, don't forget that we still have the uh, contest going for the Crystal Star. We are going to be wrapping that up here, though, uh, not uh, the day that this episode is being released, but the day that our next episode is released. So you basically have about a week left to go if you're hearing this right now. This is that contest that was mentioned on Facebook. You send us an email with the subject line, The Crystal Star. You put your mailing address in the body of the email and send it on to me directly at Nathan at StarWarsFanWars.com to be entered for a first print original hardback copy in good condition of uh, the Crystal Star. We also 
on the day that this episode is going to be released. We'll have another one going up on the Facebook page for Star Wars number one. I was lucky enough to run into a couple of newsstand copies of Star Wars number one first printing, that one that's uh, long out of print at this point, that's been selling out all over the place. It's now, I guess, it's third printing. Um, I ran into a couple of spare copies of those, so I picked up one of those, and that uh, will be used for that contest. I also have a slightly uh, edge-wrinkled second printing copy that I may just throw in there as part of kind of a bundle of a first print uh, regular a newsstand edition of number one, and then a uh, an eh version of the uh, second printing there into the same thing, just kind of as an extra little add-along. But check out the Facebook page, again, facebook.com slash swbeyondfilms, because we will be announcing how to enter that contest uh, the day this episode is released. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thanks for hanging out with us once again and sharing the love and joy of all things Star Wars and fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com, as well as iTunes, Zoom, and airing on Middle Earth Network Radio. Our episodes are also available right on our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. And we're almost at 700. I mean, come on. You guys are doing it. You Beyonders are pushing us over the top. Not only can you post comments about the show to us, we love interacting with you fellow fans. Plus, each month, if we get enough feedback, we will record a feedback episode where we answer your emails and messages. So if you have any Star Wars or EU questions, or you just have something to say about an episode, fire off. You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Whistler, yeah, buddy, and Mark, and Nate, saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that... People will start burning down GameStops to get that uh, exclusive version of Star Wars Number One that costs nine thousand nine hundred and twenty Power Up Rewards points. Or the Darth Maul will show up in Episode Seven as the villain. Oh God, no! <laughs> <laughs>